near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near Death Experience Podcast Item number 377, February 1st, 2022. The NDE of Matteo C. Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World What Near Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the other side, and also the music album, Home, which is the, among the pieces in that album, is the piece that you hear as the intro and outro to this podcast. I I just mention that because sometimes people ask me where the music comes from, that is where. And both of those, the book and the music, are available on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, and then just click on store. Today we're going to share the experience of Matteo, who recorded his experience on Enderf.org. Matteo says, My girlfriend at the time and I had been out for a tour around the lake of Basocambo, near Toulouse. She is a good swimmer, but I swim like a stone. Each time we went near the water, she made me feel bad because I never went into the water while she adored swimming. So I forced myself to go to the water to please her. She was already far from the rim of the lake. I was walking near the side of the lake where the water hardly went up to my knees. I motioned to her that she could continue having fun swimming without worrying about me. She continued swimming because I made an effort for her. Telling myself that I had time enough before she would get back, I used the opportunity to make a few strokes along the shore. The water was cold, and I didn't feel at ease, but I forced myself to swim a bit, like an exercise. I kept telling myself that I was so close to the shore that there was no danger. After a few minutes, I felt already a bit tired of this. The water was too cold for me to feel good about trying to swim, so I decided to stop and leave the water to get warm with my towel. Unfortunately... I was unaware that I had no ground anymore at the place where I found myself at that moment. I wanted to get hold on the ground to get back to shore, but I went underwater. I never knew how to float or to float on my back without going underwater. I already had had several bad experiences in water, so I never had the desire to learn to swim. I understood that the bottom was far deeper than I had thought. I struggled to get my head out of the water, which I could do for a fraction of a second. I could get a breath, but not enough to get out of the water. So in a state of panic, 
I let myself going down, hoping to finally touch ground before the air would be out. This didn't take very long. At that moment, I needed to breathe and was wary of the struggle. I started to breathe water, not a big gulp, but only a small quantity, as if it was the little part of air that my body was crying out for. I remember, and will remember for the rest of my life, the absurd thought that I had at that moment. Oh, I can breathe water? It's years since this NDE happened, but I still and always tell myself, if I had died on this day, this would have been my last thought. So at that moment, I accepted this, and without even thinking about it, I felt so good under the water. No pain anymore, and no panic. I felt satisfied and free. I don't know how much time this took, for sure less than a minute, but I was fine. I closed my eyes, naturally, like you do when, you're, when you go to sleep. The experience started. The moment after I closed my eyes, I found myself floating above the water. I looked toward the water below. I was several meters above, and I think that I was looking towards my body. I had no thought at all. What shocked me the most was the silence. It was as if I felt the nature surrounding me. I looked around and saw the lake and the trees. There was no sound. I felt like I was part of a whole, of something bigger than me, bigger than the world, something that was connecting us to the surrounding nature. I didn't think for a single second. My thoughts seemed like something else. I really couldn't explain what it was. I didn't think, but I realized everything. I realized that nature surrounded me. I realized the blow of the wind passing through me, but also as if it was a part of me. Then I realized that somebody was there, down there, at the border of the lake, a woman with long, curled, reddish hair in a white robe. The person was on her knees in the yellow pebbles, and reached toward the water as if she wanted to help me. I didn't look at her for very, a very long time. Then, in a second, the time to realize that she was reaching with her hand towards my body to save me. And there I found myself back in my body, and the survival instinct let me go down until I touched the bottom. With one leap, I found myself meters away from where I was before. I left the water, vomited the water from my lungs, which was burning inside as if I were vomiting my lung itself. I needed several breaths before I emptied everything. During the time of this pain, I forgot everything around me. Then I lifted my head towards the place where, logically, this person should be, but saw nothing. Nobody was there. I could see the place, and it was how it should look from above. At the arrival, I didn't notice this corner with colored pebbles, nor while I was swimming. I only saw their color when I was floating above. Surprised, 
I didn't know if I had been dreaming, although for me those pebbles were proof that this was not the case. My girlfriend arrived. She had enough time to swim to the shore, wondering what happened and why I was coughing near the water. I explained to her that I had been drowning. She answered that this was impossible because drowning takes a much longer time. As of this day, I tried to tell this NDE to my friends while getting always the same rejections. They considered me nuts or making fun of me as if I had been telling a joke. I recently tried to talk about this again, and, the only, and only one person accepted to believe me. Since this day, this death, I remained, in relative terms, the same. Of course, this experience has raised many questions, such as, was this real? Was I really drowning? Who was the person that saved me? Why was I brought back? I still have no true answer for all of this. It ended that I was telling myself that maybe I was dreaming this, even though for me it, all of this was very real. If it was real, then the person that saved me could only have been my grandmother, deceased many years ago and who was watching me during the years. I can't explain why I was saved. I haven't accomplished anything that deserves being saved from death. That is the end of Mateo's experience. And before we dive into the details, let me just respond to Mateo and say that this fear of having not accomplished anything, don't worry, you're still alive. There's still much to do. And I could add that little bit to anyone out there who feels like their life has been either a failure or useless or that they haven't accomplished anything First off, heaven sees accomplishment very differently than we do. Acts of love are much bigger than grand acts of altruistic humanitarianism. Small acts of kindness are bigger than that. Reaching out to touch someone is much bigger than that. Okay, let's go on and uh, talk a little bit about the experience. So Mateo is swimming. Here we go again, swimming. <laughs> Be careful when you go swimming. It is apparently a very quick way to die because there are many near-death experiences that include drowning and it usually comes pretty quick and often without the person even realizing anything has changed at all other than their emotions suddenly feel more calm and serene and so forth. And that was Mateo's experience as well. This moment of like, oh, I can breathe underwater. Now, those who have actually breathed underwater before or taken a breath underwater and didn't die or nearly die can attest it's a very painful experience. It hurts. So that tells me that it's very likely that in this moment of panic when he goes under and realizes all he can do is try to take small breaths was the moment that his spirit said, okay, you know what? Let me just step out for a minute. I don't want to experience this, you might say. I don't want to feel what you're going to feel. And as he describes after coming back, coughing it back up, he felt like he was vomiting up his lungs because it was so such a burning pain. Um, and that is fairly common of coming back. <laughs> Painful experience. But the dying part, 
Not so much. Not so much. There's the psychological terror of, of the panic of realizing, this is it. I'm going to die. And that sense of, is this going to hurt? Am I going to, you know, have I done everything I came to do? And then, bam, it's over. I don't think we have to fear that moment too much. Some people do experience great pain surrounding their death. But those who have accidents and so forth like this, there's less chance of that. There seems to be less chance of that. Now, I personally uh, relate to this experience very viscerally, you might say. Because at the age of 12, no, I must have been 14, I did not... Well, I knew how to swim. I knew how to doggy paddle. But I was not very good at it. I could not go very far. And I certainly didn't know any proper swimming techniques. And I didn't yet have the ability to maintain myself above water for long. I couldn't tread water. And I'm often quick to speak up when I hear people say things like, No, the, the body floats. It naturally floats and so forth. Because I am one of those people who do naturally sink. If, I, if my lungs are packed to the brim, like I fill them as high as I can go and then just sit underwater for a long time, I will float with my head just below the surface. Maybe the tips of my hair um, might float, but that is it. And if I blow out any air, I will, you know, sink to the bottom. I've, I've had much practice swimming since then, and I've gotten to the point where I can stay at the top of the water for a long period of time if I need to, as long as there's not heavy waves or something like that. And so, you know, I've kind of worked through some of my water issues, but I can attest there are people who sink. That's what they naturally do, and I am one of them. Um, and as somebody who has learned to swim, please don't, you know, disbelieve someone when they say they sink like a rock because it does happen. Anyway, um, tangent there, but um, I'm one of those people who struggles to to uh, stay above water. And I had an experience at age 14 um, where I was at a lake with my sister and my friend, neither of which were great swimmers. My friend was two years younger than me and quite a bit uh, uh, smaller than me, not a very strong individual as far as, you know, being able to swim somebody to shore or something. And not to mention, he was off kind of doing his own thing. And it was pretty much me and my sister swimming, you know, doggy paddling side by side. She couldn't do more than doggy paddle either. Was not a very good swimmer. But she had, she was a little bit more athletic than me. She had a little bit better technique with her doggy paddle that uh, conserved energy a little better. I was like, whoa, grind and, and moving my hands as fast as I could just to keep above water kind of thing. Anyway, we got to a point where I realized it, where, where we were, we had accidentally gone a little further from shore than we meant to, but we'd been able to find ground previously, and suddenly there wasn't ground. We're like, well, we're close enough, we'll, we'll hit ground again, and we're kind of, you know, paddling along, and I'd reach down a little bit with my foot, no ground, paddle on further, getting tired, really kind of tired, um, reach down again, no ground, and, and it got to the point where I realized I don't have the energy to reach down again, because every time I'd reach down with my foot to feel for the ground, it would take more energy to get back up, and I realized I'm going to have to just swim until I can't swim anymore and hope there is ground when I reach that point. And I, I even reached a point where I'm paddling along, and I'm calling my sister. I'm like, help, 
you know, I didn't shout it out. I wasn't screaming, but I was just like, help. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I tried some different things like, you know, conserving arm strength by, you know, kind of dipping under the water and just kicking forward and just doing kind of the, not, not mermaid, I don't know what you call that when you just let your arms go to your side and just kick um, to, to go forward. I tried doing that a little bit, but I really needed oxygen too, because with how exhausted I was, I, you know, so, you know, my sister is taking that as me dipping under a few times, like I'm, I'm sinking or something, and I, she knows I sink like a rock, and so she's kind of panicking and freaking out, and may have even been calling for help, I don't know, but, uh, but fortunately for us, for me, there came a point where my knee knocked the ground, and I'm just like, oh, ground. And so I stopped right there. No, it wasn't my knee. It was my foot because it got to the point where I, you know, which probably attests to how bad it was getting my foot. You know, when I stood on the ground where my foot hit, I, I was up to my neck in, in water, but I could stand. And so I just stood there and caught my breath for like 10 minutes, just just feeling better, and then started trying to walk back to shore. And gratefully, there was no more, you know, dips like that. And it was very traumatic for me emotionally and psychologically. It was the kind of thing where at the moment, I'm kind of like just trying to get through it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then, and then later, you know, when you think back on it, there's this sulking dread that's just like, oh, thinking about what could have happened kind of thing. If anybody's had a, a really life-threatening situation, you'll know that emotion. It's, you know, um, close encounter with crime or anything like that. You just have this, ugh, can't even think about it because it's it's so um, just, it, it, it's hard on the psyche. I You know, anyway, so like I said, I, I did not go unconscious. I did not breathe in water. I, I probably accidentally swallowed some water in my splashing and, and so forth. Um, and, and so I probably coughed a bit, but I did not lose consciousness. I did not have anything like that, but, um, it was a very visceral experience. And, and hearing this experience, I'm like, oh, I know what he was going through a little bit. Didn't get to that point that he did where he went, couldn't get above water because I could doggy paddle as, as exhausting and difficult as it was for me. I, I was able to, to get myself up and, and, but there were points where I was like, this might just be it. And, and I was close to that point of, of thinking I'm going to die. I, you know, was to the point where I was like, I might die. And, and that is a very, oh, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's an interesting um, sensation, a little bit terrifying, a little bit. I, I can't say I got to a point of giving up like it's over and then just stop trying. I didn't get to that point like uh, many NDEers do. And maybe had I gotten to that point, maybe I would have had some kind of experience. But anyway, the whole reason I bring that up is to, I guess, illustrate the point that life is very fragile. It's very... The, the veil itself is just out of reach. And when the body comes to a point of knowing that it may be about to die, 
the Spirit will sometimes reach beyond that veil. And I think that's what happened to Matteo. In fact, I suspect his heart probably never stopped. I don't think he was clinically dead. And as we know from studying these experiences, it's not necessary to reach clinical death in order to have a near-death experience, or for that experience to be absolutely authentic. Now, he did not, as far as he remembers, go to any light or any, any other realm beyond just floating above his body over the water. But here's an interesting point that I find from this experience. As he is watching from above and completely calm from uh, the way he describes it. In fact, he doesn't even describe it as him thinking. It's not like he's like, oh, you know, I, that's interesting. What am I doing up here? Kind of thing. He was just there realizing everything. He was experiencing everything without a train of consciousness um, that uh, that we commonly have. And this is very common when, fun, when people first go into a near-death experience. It's like they ease into it almost like waking from sleep, but kind of in reverse in a way. It's like they kind of become aware of the fact that they've been observing this for some time. And since time is not really a thing on the other side, or at least it's it operates very differently, doesn't exist as it does here, then that kind of makes sense. At whatever point that the spirit leaves the body, or perhaps there is part of the consciousness that is always kind of hovering over the body in some way, and they come into realization of that awareness, at that point, it's like they they kind of become aware that they've been standing, floating there a while, paying attention to this, and then the stream of consciousness begins to kind of take place. And it seems that in this state, he is kind of becoming aware of the fact that he is just realizing everything, and he doesn't quite reach the point of the full stream of consciousness. But he does become conscious of things around him, being one with everything, and also of this woman with long curled reddish hair in a white robe. Now, if you think about this logically, okay, if if this was a mortal being that he is seeing, which he's later kind of not sure if it is or not, because he's looking around for her and, and is puzzled that she's not around, if you think of where they are. They are lakeside. They are swimming, um, and there's apparently not a bunch of other people around because they probably would have seen him splashing about. So it's a fairly secluded area. He's kind of out there alone. Who would be out there at the border of a lake in a white robe? Now, I don't know how many of you have been camping before, but you don't wear white camping unless it's just junk clothes that you don't care what it looks like. I don't know um, about, you know, some local beach sides of, of lakes, maybe near cities. I suppose somebody might wear white, but a robe? I mean, what would it be? A bathrobe? You know, could she have been um, wearing a, a, a white towel after swimming? I'm trying to think in terms of how somebody is going to explain away this 
woman in the white robe. It, it's just not very practical to suggest that this was just a lady walking by in a robe-like towel who happened to come to help him. And if by chance that were the case, then when he comes out of the water, she'd probably stick around to make sure he's breathing, to make sure that he's, he's okay. And then she would go on her way after that. But when he comes out, she's not there and she's nowhere to be seen. Now, that is no surprise to most of you because we are, you know, believers in this idea of an afterlife and we, and we recognize that there are beings beyond our vision. What I would emphasize, though, is that these beings are around us continually and we don't see them because we're in this mortal body. When Mateo is in his body, in the water, and coming out of the water, he can't see her. In fact, he looks to where he'd seen her from floating up above and sees the yellow sand that he hadn't noticed, yellow pebbles, I'm sorry, that he hadn't noticed previous to this time. Now, one could argue, oh, but it's subconscious and he saw it out of his peripheral vision as he's getting in the water and therefore, you know, it turns into this dream that's more more elaborate than that. Now, okay, you can make these kind of arguments that could suggest that this was not a not really a veridical experience, which is an experience that is provable either to the ind- individual or to others. Um, now, had he, as a spirit, you know, floated over into the car of somebody um, who was nearby that wasn't his car, had never seen the inside of and seen, you know, a sippy cup on the seat or something like that, that would be absolutely veridical. I recognize that his seeing these this area that he hadn't noticed before is not completely veridical from a scientific point of view because of subconscious possible, you know, realizing and, and so forth. So, you know, yeah, okay, so it's not provable. But to Mateo, this is real evidence, and for good reason. I know as one who tends to not notice things, to overlook things, and, you know, you ask me what my wife is wearing today, I can't remember, and I have talked to her many times already today, and and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what she's wearing. I didn't notice. But uh, neither my kids, who I've come across several times today already, I don't notice things. But once in a while, something happens that makes me realize, oh, you know, at the end of the day, you're wearing this. I didn't notice. <laughs> and so, as somebody who doesn't notice things, I would absolutely consider this good proof to Mateo that this was absolutely real. And I say that because he is questioning at the end of it. He says, since this day, I remain in relative terms the same. Was this real? Was this really drowning? He says, who was the person that saved me? Why was I brought back? And he says, I have no true answer for all of this. He is still questioning whether this was a real experience. Well, if he gets a chance to hear this, and I don't know if he ever will or not, he probably submitted this and then went on with his life. I can attest as somebody who has read thousands of near-death experiences, this is absolutely consistent with near-death experiences I have heard before, and I have every reason to think this is absolutely real. That not only did you drown, 
at some level, but that your spirit was outside of your body for a time. Some part of you, your consciousness, had left your body and was watching from above, that there was a woman, a spirit of some kind, or maybe an, yeah, an angel. It could have been somebody I'm reminded of, uh, of the uh, near-death experience of Spencer from uh, John Pontius's book about uh, Spencer's near-death experience, um, where he talks about how among the doctors that were operating him on him, uh, when he was outside of his body, he could see um, spirit angels, and he could see resurrected angels, which is to say um, angels in bodily form. So they have physical bodies, and they are angels, so they can physically operate on his body. And there are also spirit angels that are there at his side, providing healing, providing you know, guidance, spiritual guidance to the doctors and so forth. And this seems to be what is happening all the time around us. So whether this woman that he sees was a resurrected angel or a spirit angel, possibly his grandmother, as he puts it, in fact, I would say likely his grandmother, just because that seems to be very common for family to be our, our uh, spirit guides and angels and so forth, though often it is other people as well, sometimes people that we knew before we came that we don't remember while we're here, but when we return, we remember in great detail, and it's a fabulous reunion seeing them again. Anyway, point is, she was there, and my guess is she was doing exactly as he suspected, there saving him. How she was doing it, I don't know. Was, did she actually pull him out of the water? That's kind of unclear. It says that she was reaching with her hand toward my body to save me. Was she beckoning his body toward her in, with some spiritual gift ability? I don't, I don't know. You know what, what angels can do is beyond me, other than we know that they can do quite a bit that we can't do here. And so when poor Mateo comes out of the water and his girlfriend comes to see why he's coughing so much, and he says, I just drowned. I was drowning. And she's like, what? No, it takes longer than that to drown. He's like, well, maybe, maybe I was dreaming that. Maybe, you know, it was some kind of hallucination. I, I don't know what, you know, and he's wondering to this day, is this real? But these experiences that people have are so consistent, so it, it, there's just not a more logical explanation than the one that there is more than this life, that our consciousness is more than the sum of our brain creating this, you know, really cool synergistic effect. Certainly there is that going on as well, but our consciousness, our real deepest selves, the stream of consciousness that continues uh, to think and to wonder and to be curious about this and, and that and to be you know, interacting with people, that is you. And it is beyond this body. The body certainly has an effect on it. No question about it. When there is pain, when there is suffering, when there are mental challenges of any kind, be they depression, learning disabilities, you know, uh, psychological disabilities and conditions and so forth, that is all the body. 
your true self is inside of that, not trapped deep in some, you know, unknown cavern that, uh, or spiritual, you know, dormancy, so to speak. It is you in there. Your truest, deepest self is that spirit. And it continues on after this life. One more thing that stands out to me in this experience, and and it's the naturalist in me. I love nature. I love plants, animals, ecosystems, uh, you know, landscapes. I, I'm just fully enamored by them. Um, as some of you may know, I, I've even got a, another podcast that's about plants and, and forest gardening, and I, I just geek out about this stuff because I love nature. And so I apologize if this keeps coming up for me as a topic of discussion, but he feels this deep connection, almost as if he is part of the nature around him. He says, he says something that was connected, connecting us. There was something bigger than me, bigger than the world, something that was connecting us to the surrounding nature. Now, I am not one to consider nature, nature as something to worship or to, or to give some kind of obeisance to or anything like that. I think, rather, it is a deep and spiritual part of us, something akin to a spirit family or a uh, a home, if you will. I, I have heard it described by some near-death experiencers as nature, like the trees and so forth, and, and the plants and animals around us and so forth, being something like an antenna that connects us to heaven. Do you remember the old-style antennas? If any of you younger than maybe, you know, 30 probably don't remember this yourselves, but maybe you've heard of it. I don't know. But, uh, when when I was young, the TV that we had, in order to get it to work, you had to have an antenna, which was a physical wire sticking out of the TV. And if your TV was like mine and most people that I knew, it, it never lasted long in terms of the nice, you know, um, stick that could come in and out. And it would it would break off. It would, you know, and once it broke off, there really wasn't much use for the stick uh, other than, you know, a fun little little uh, stick to be used as a play fishing pole or something. And so what you would do is get something like a metal hanger. You'd, you'd extend it out, you know, unravel it so it's one, one big long wire. Or sometimes you could get away with having it keep the loop and you just stretch out the, the hook so that it, it would stick into that slot where the antenna was. The antenna, you know, it, it looked kind of like a car antenna, you know, it's sticking straight up. But once it broke off, which they always seem to do, um, you would just stick something in there that was metal like that, and it would act as the antenna. And what would happen is you'd have to position it in different positions to get a good picture, because sometimes it would just be like, and it would start to roll the picture, and you'd be like, somebody play with the antenna, and, and you'd fiddle it around until you got it to a point, okay, it's a good picture. And sometimes you could even act as the antenna, which was kind of fun because you could you could hold the metal and as long as your hand was up in this weird position and your foot was in the air, then you'd get a good picture and everybody would be like, okay, stay right there. And you'd be like, I can't stand here like this forever, <laughs> you know. It, it, it was kind of fun to, 
to play around with that a little bit, but that's how an antenna worked. It was like, when you get things in the right position, the signal that's coming out of the air, that's those radio waves, however that works, had to be captured by that antenna in order to draw the picture into the TV. That's how that felt like it was working. And if you think of nature that way, there is spiritual energy, spiritual light that is coming to earth always. And it's not like, I, I don't think of it like radio waves hitting the earth, so to speak, but it's like there is this spirit world around us, okay? And when we come in tune with nature, you know, imagine when you're standing looking at the stars or, or standing in a beautiful campground or we're looking over a lake or something and you just have that calm serenity, you know, a sunset, um, that calm serenity come over you. It's like nature is channeling that, that picture so that you get a clearer vision of what's going on. Now that may not look like a visual picture, but that, that feeling of calmness and, and serenity that we often associate with being in nature seems to be similar to what people are experiencing after the moment of death when they are feeling serene and calm and safe. Now, those of you that practice active meditation, I call it active meditation because there is a passive meditation where you, you know, maybe you're um, just sitting somewhere waiting, sitting in a car waiting for, to pick somebody up and you're just kind of zoning out and, and your thoughts kind of like, you know, go a little um, cloudy-like and you just kind of, you know, you know, the staring off into the middle distance kind of thing. I would call that... Um, passive meditation or, you know, maybe even taking that moment to just be calm and just be, you know, a little in tune with your thoughts. That would be a passive meditation. Active meditation is where you do something to get in a place of quiet serenity. So for me, it's finding, you know, my favorite comfortable a uh, lounge chair, kind of a lazy boy, sitting in it comfortably, sometimes putting a blanket over me to just feel, you know, so I'm not feeling any cool breezes or anything, just comfortable, and then just closing my eyes and relaxing into the silence and relaxing into the uh, calmness of of just being. That I would consider active meditation. Now, those of you who have experienced or done active meditation, seeking out that calm serenity feeling can attest that there reaches a point where you feel completely at ease, completely comfortable. Kind of that sensation of like, it's, it's not an ecstasy, so to speak, but rather a feeling of, you know what, I don't really want to be anywhere else doing any other thing than this right now. And eventually, the mortal usually takes over or your schedule takes over and you have to, you know, stop. And for me, it's 10, 15 minutes a day average, probably. Um, you know, and if on a hurried day, it's five minutes, you know. Uh, but, uh, and I will usually have music playing just to kind of ease into that. Sometimes I'll have a short piece to ease into it and then I just sit in the silence afterward. But uh, my point is, 
we can get in touch with that oneness. And for some, it will be a very deep experience. Others, it will just be a nice, pleasant, quiet experience. And you know what? That's great. Whatever it is, you can experience that. And as one who is also a very deeply spiritually religious person, I can attest that in that kind of a state, prayer is so just beautiful. I mean, it feels like a conversation. And even though the responding answers are often very quiet and very non-audible, non-visual, <laughs> there's, there's nothing completely, you know, sensory, so to speak, about them, there is an emotional sensation of response. And, and sometimes they come in the form of thought words. Other times it comes in feelings of just gentle assurance. Other times it's just the sensation of, I am here and I love you. And I can tell you, you guys, that is the kind of experience, as common and simple as it is, that can keep a person going for an entire lifetime. I personally feel very strongly that in some manner or other, it is God that is speaking to me through the Spirit, maybe through attending angels like we talked about that are all around us. I don't know how he's responding, but he is. That's what I feel. That's the sense I get. And I feel that connection with everything. It's, all, it's, it's kind of like you get this kind of sense of being a child with your brothers and sisters sitting in front of a parent who is telling a story or sharing an experience or just expressing love and you're kind of in this warm, loving, together family experience, that's what it feels like to me. It's like God is speaking to me and saying, I love you. And I've got my siblings around me, which are, are my family and friends and nature and, and the world around me, and we are all enjoying this love, this experience together. And it is so real. And it is so healing, which is why I would encourage all of you, regardless of your religious persuasion or lack thereof, to give prayer a chance. It is a powerful connection with the other side. And in response to the kind of feeling that Matteo has about this at the end of his, his account. He, his last thing was, I still can't explain why I was saved. I haven't accomplished anything that deserves being saved from death. First off, God needs no excuse to show love to his children. So there's that side of it. But the bigger part and the thing that I get out of it is that in these quiet moments, when we're willing to reach out to heaven, to speak to God, as a real, loving being, a father. He can help us to come to know, what should I be doing? What can I do to make my life worth it? To make my experience here something truly meaningful? And of course, he's going to have different responses for every person, because we are absolutely individuals. But I can suggest that most likely, 
it's going to have something very much to do with love. And with that, thank you all of you again for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can text or call the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970-NDE-CAST. Calling allows you to record your message in three-minute increments. If your message runs longer than three minutes, just call back and we can splice the segments together. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching NDE Podcast on those sites. And join our Facebook NDE Podcast community. Please leave feedback for the show on iTunes or via whatever application you use to listen to us. Doing so will allow our audience to grow and help spread the knowledge about spiritually transformative experiences to more listeners. You can help keep the show financially viable by purchasing Chaz's music or his book under the store link on the ndepodcast.org website or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast where you can make a one-time only donation or become an ongoing supporter. Whether you decide to write or call us or you choose to support the show either financially or by writing a review, or by listening and sharing us with others. We are so humbly thankful for you. We can't begin to express how much touching you spiritually means to us. Chaz and I thank you for joining us. We hope you keep listening and applying the understanding you gain from the show about your existence after this earthly life so you have a better life right now. And to love one another. This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude, and our attitude should always be love.